The Spirit-filled disciple. What is the Spirit-filled disciple? Acts 3, 1 through 16. Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at them, and did, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them at the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though you are... Uh, by our, I'm sorry, as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this... We are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What is a spirit-filled disciple? These guys are on their way to pray. Okay, so spirit-filled disciples pray. They're in relationship with God. They, they want to meet with God. In this case, they have realized that they have received this exact replica of their friend Jesus. And so now, when they go to pray, they're going to pray to their friend Jesus. And they've gone to pray, and they, as they go, they're, they're uh, sensitive to what the Holy Spirit might be doing or saying. And as they get to, this, uh, to, the, to the place of prayer, they find this lame guy who's be- begging. Not lame in personality, just lame. And they go through the gate to pray... And these disciples had been through this gate a number of times. In fact, Jesus had been through this gate a number of times. And this lame beggar had been placed at this gate a lot. Now, imagine Jesus' thoughts as he passed by this beggar. I won't heal you today. I'm reserving you for Acts chapter 3. This happens in Jesus' ministry. There's these moments when he stepped over the sick at the pool of Bethsaida, stepped over all of them to get to one and said, be healed, great, and then stepped over the rest of them, got to go. Like, why didn't he just heal all of them? This man was being saved for this moment. And I wonder about that for our lives today. I wonder if God has saved this moment for us, that this would be the moment that we get filled with the Spirit, that this would be the moment that we get... um, to receive gifts. This is be the moment that we get healed. Um, and they say to him, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. 
in the authority of Jesus, get up and walk. And they want to point these guys away from themselves. Why do you look at us? Don't look at us. Look at, this is Jesus, the one, by the way, you killed. They kind of preach the gospel as they say this. They, this, this isn't us. Don't look at us. Don't, don't make a big deal out of us. That, that is a spirit-filled disciple. It's not one who wants to have a big deal made about them. They would give up their life to have a big deal made about Jesus. And so Peter and John are, are prompted to stop, and they pray for him. Now, the spirit-filled disciple, I want to just cover three things, and we're going to go rapidly, and then we're going to stop and pray, and, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to worship and receive whatever the Holy Spirit has for us. One is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a conscious event. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a conscious event. Number two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is usually, not always, but usually subsequent to conversion. Okay? Number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a conscious event. Number two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is usually, but not always, subsequent to conversion. In other words, it's not always right at conversion. Number three, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the highest form of assurance. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the highest form of assurance. Did you get that? Anybody need me to repeat one of those? Yes. Number two? Number two. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is usually subsequent to conversion. Meaning it doesn't always happen right at conversion. Number one. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is... A conscious event. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a conscious event. Real quick, we have privilege to see five occasions where people were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Acts 2 at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit broke into their prayer meeting like a rushing wind, tongues of fire. They began to prophesy. They began to preach boldly to the masses. Was that a conscious or an unconscious event? Come on. I know it's been a long day, but that is a conscious event. Event When fire rests on your head, that is conscious. Number two, Acts 8. Philip had gone to Samaria and preached the gospel. He's an evangelist. He had great success. People got saved, and they were legitimately saved. Acts 8, 4 through 8 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw all the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had, uh, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in the city. So he went and he did signs and wonders as someone who was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He began to do stuff. People got saved. And yet, look at this, verse 14, Acts 8, verse 14 Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they went to them, Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Conscious or unconscious? Conscious. Conscious event. They understood that something had happened, something that didn't happen at conversion, happened when Peter and John showed up. 
I think um, we oftentimes want to methodize this thing. And so you got to pray the prayer, go in the water, and then you get the Holy Spirit. Or whatever, whatever method you want to come up with. And we see right off the bat here that these people were radically saved, set free from demons, healed from paralysis, worshiping Jesus, and yet had yet not received the Holy Spirit. Okay? Just as way of marking an order. Acts, through, Acts 9, Acts 9, 17 through 19, Saul had been breathing out murderous threats against the church. Jesus says, no more. I will stop you by loving you. And he falls down and he submits to Jesus. And then in Acts 19, 17 through 19, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which he came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Okay, what happened first? Submitted to Jesus, gave his life to Jesus. Sometimes it's better to do it softly in a church meeting than to get knocked down by Jesus. But whatever your cup of tea is. Then what happened? Then he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he went to water. Okay. Acts 10. Peter has a vision. It's a great vision about eating lots of food and pork. And um, Cornelius calls to Peter and says, Peter, come over and help us in Acts 10, 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, so Peter's preaching right in the middle of his message before he can get to his altar call. It says, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. They got the whole thing right then. Holy Spirit came on them. Then they got baptized. There's no method is the point I'm trying to make here. There's no easy steps. Number five, Acts 19, Paul meets some guys on the road to Ephesus. And it happened... While Apollos was at Corinth, Acts 19, 1-7, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That was his intro question. Is that your intro question at the door of Jubilee Church? No, because not everybody who comes is a Christian. Hello? Okay. Number two, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what name were you baptized? Or into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that one is Jesus. Hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So they got soaked in water as they came out of the water, they received the Holy Spirit. 
It was conscious. It was a conscious event. Hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Yeah, because we started prophesying. We started speaking in tongues. All these people could point to something that happened in their life, that they, they felt the overwhelming presence of God in their life, whether it was certain gifts like tongues or prophecy or just praying out loud, whatever it was, they would say without a shadow of a doubt, it was a conscious event in my life. It was not a three-step program. It was not a class they went to. It was the move of the Holy Spirit on their lives at a particular time. So whether you have been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you can receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for the mature believer. It's not the next step. If I can just memorize some verses, if I could just complete the Alpha Course, if I could just, no, no, no. It's for anyone. They came out of the water soaking wet. Boom. They didn't even go in the water yet. Boom. Conscious events. Number two, it often took place subsequent to their conversion. We just kind of unpacked that. So sometimes it happened at conversion. Sometimes it happened after conversion. That would be true of my life. I became a Christian at 13, and uh, I I got baptized in the Holy Spirit undeniably in a conscious event when I was about 21 years old that undeniable moment in my life that I can point back to that said, he's flooded me and continues to flood me, which is the good news. It's not a one-off thing. So does that challenge your theology? And I think more incriminating, does that challenge your pride? Because it did mine. When I began to study the things of the Holy Spirit, I began to say, oh, so you're saying I'm a JV Christian? You're saying I don't have everything that you have? No, no, no. That's, that's not what we're saying here. We're, we're not calling anybody JV. We're not saying anybody's less than anybody else. What we're saying is there's a relationship with Jesus that you have that you can ask him because he wants to. We already know that. The promise is for you. You said that at the beginning of this meeting, that he wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, why hasn't he yet? And I would say, I don't know. It could be because of bad teaching you've received over the years that has prevented you from believing that that is for you. It could be because you've just never asked. It, I don't know. But I know that he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And it is for you today. And then number three, it's the highest form of assurance. It's the highest form of assurance. Romans eight fifteen through 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When I was searching to find the answers on the Holy Spirit, I, um, I had been living this life of like, I'm, he loves me, he loves me not. <laughs> he loves me, he loves me not. I don't know if he really loves me because I know what I've been thinking. I know what I've been doing. I know the activities that I've been involved in. How could he love me? If I know that that's bad, he knows that that's bad. If I don't really love myself because I've done those things, how could he love me? And you play this game and you're on this roller coaster. But then all of a sudden you're like, I went to Christian camp. I'm doing great. Broke up with that girlfriend. And, you know, like I'm back on track. And then it goes down again. And then it goes up again. And you... How do you know? Well, we're told that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for us to receive not just the knowledge, but the knowledge and experience that he 
loves us, that we're assured that he loves us and that he wants to lavishly pour his spirit on us to give us that assurance. He doesn't want you to be a son or a daughter who's kind of like, I don't know if I'm really in the family. What kind of father allows a child to not know they're in the family? That's an evil father. It's a wicked father. You need to know that you're in the family. And the way he does it is he gives you the Holy Spirit. He wants to pour the Holy Spirit into your heart. He wants to pour love into your heart. Romans 5, 5. He wants to pour love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to do. He wants to assure us that you're in, that you're loved, that you can receive. So whether or not today is the day to receive the gift of tongues, I hope it is. I love speaking in tongues. It's been very helpful for me in my life. When I have nothing else to say, when I have no words to worship, when I have nothing to pray, it's helpful to have my spirit crying out to God. Maybe it's prophecy that you begin to hear God. All of a sudden, your ears are unlocked to the things of God. Maybe it's those things. Or maybe it's that you just get drenched and you know, he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. I know without a shadow of a doubt.